What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 226 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wednesday? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty confident in knowing the day at this point. Uh, May 26, 2021. My name's Josh Cannon. I'm here with my fabulous co-host and his brand new dinner gown that he's wearing, and his name is Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm I'm definitely not wearing a dinner gown, so I don't I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, yeah, I'm doing fine. Uh, have a day off from work, uh, but normally that means that I don't really have a day off because that means uh, got more videos to record for YouTube and then got the podcast to do. But I still may I'll still make some time uh, to uh, watch some more movies that are probably. On my request list. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it, but it's one of those things where I, I'm pretty happy with it, though. I mean, let's be honest, like things could be a lot worse. Well, you're getting money for those requests, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's cool. I should do something like that for my Patreon and have like a music, like an album request, like, you know, review an album or something like that you could set up a paypal donate and you could like uh link it in your uh video description yeah i feel like that could like that i feel like that could quickly bog down my like the shit that i want to talk about versus the shit i have maybe because it's like what if i don't want to talk about some david bowie album you know now (laughs) now i gotta make a whole video about that and a lot of my audience might not give a shit about that. I mean, I think with your audience, it's like they're kind of they they're kind of ready for whatever random movie you decide you want to re- review, and they're kind of on board with yeah. that. But yeah. with me, it's- although most of the time when it comes to like the really popular ones or the newer ones, that's the ones that get the most views. Well, yeah, uh, stuff that's like not as well known normally doesn't do as well. Which is completely understandable. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we're going to have to jump right into the podcast this week, unfortunately, because uh, I got to go to my gig. It's my busiest gig of the week um, on Wednesday at a place called Birdies in f- the Five Points area of Jacksonville, Florida. Um, oh, yeah, actually, uh, real quick, um, there's been like a national news uh, item based out of uh, Jacksonville, Florida, my hometown. Um the uh, private school Bartram Trail that I've known about since I was going to high school uh, has been in the news because um, in the yearbook photos, the girls had just the slightest bit of cleavage. And Bartram, I guess, thought that was just inappropriate. So they put these obnoxious they did these obnoxious photoshop edits to the girls cleavage and just covered it up like if they're wearing a black dress they just did like this black bar over the cleavage it almost looked like a censored bar or something and then there was like a chick wearing like this like Uh like lavender colored shirt so they they fashioned this fake ass looking collar around her uh cleavage and her neck and it looked like some shit that you'd see off of like star trek and and then this one chick was wearing this plaid thing and they did this really like awful photoshop job of they just did like a clone stamp and did the plaid over her cleavage and like it got 
It, it was on Jimmy Kimmel. They were talking about it on uh, NBC <laughs> Nightly uh, News. Like, it, and it happened here, <laughs> here in my old, good old Jacksonville, Florida. Fucking where? Oh yeah, and then like the the insult to injury part was they had pitchers from the boys swim team and they are in speedos and nothing else yeah so, double standards yeah. yeah i mean of course a, a, a conservative christian school is gonna be like boys can can walk around with their peckers hanging out all day long ain't nothing wrong with that but as soon as our precious virgins bear any bit of their titties and we gotta put a stop to i mean dude it was the most pathetic amount of cleavage like it, it was nothing even remotely uh to write home about but yeah anyway that's <laughs> that's my hometown for you hopefully one day i can go to a cooler part of the country but anyway um we have to skip all the chit chat and uh some of you might be cheering and jumping for joy right now but um others of you might be crying sadly into your beer um, we're gonna start, so, start off uh, the first case. Yeah, let's. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Mike. let's start off with the first case here, which is gonna be uh, Nova Guthrie and Craig Pritchard. So it was a typical day at the Kalamath First Federal Bank in Bend, Oregon. The bank was about to close, and bank teller Rhonda Dent looked forward to a serene evening at home with her husband and four children. Then suddenly, a gunman entered the bank. Uh. The reenactment, I thought, was pretty good. Uh, not as good as the earlier seasons, because this is from the last season. This is from season 12. Uh, but I thought it did a good job uh, showcasing the uh, tension of uh, the robbery. The mask the guy was wearing was definitely pretty creepy. Those masks are always creepy to me. Like, the clear masks with like a little bit of makeup... Like yeah, fake that's, makeup on. That's what that when we did the music video for the song, uh, our song, the witch. That's how we fashioned, like we fashioned the witch look off of that. We painted Stephanie's face completely white, put in white contacts, and then uh, put one of those masks over her face, and it just morphed her face into this creepy plasticine looking uh face yeah. and it was a really effective uh technique i i actually really like those kind of masks because they they i don't know what it is they just there's something about when you distort a human face it just becomes really unsettling to most people yeah i i would say uh one of the best examples of that i've seen in uh, pop culture is a film called alice sweet alice uh, look up some photos from that. It, 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 that's a, an example of using that kind of mask to, to really uh, make an audience's skin crawl. So he was wearing that creepy plastic mask and he took control and he scared us. This is uh, uh, Rhonda quoted here. He took control and he scared us. He intimidated us. There was no thought in anybody's mind of trying to set an alarm off, so he made us all go into the vault, and then he had me fill the bags. After I was done, he told me to go over and get on my knees, and he tied me up. I was scared. I was terrified at that point because I thought, he's going to shoot us all. Four years, 12 banks, over half a million dollars. That was the track record of two outlaw lovers named Craig Pritchard and Nova Guthrie. No wonder some saw them as a modern-day Bonnie and Clyde. Craig Pritchard once seemed destined for athletic stardom. 
but when his baseball career fizzled, he headed for the bright lights of Las Vegas, where he found a new passion, robbing banks. Now, you honestly kind of feel for Pritchard a little bit here, because apparently he got a scholarship, I think it was for Arizona State or some kind of, uh, I believe so, or something along those lines. So he got a scholarship for a major college for baseball, and then the college that he uh, was uh, given a scholarship to then decides to bring in Barry Bonds, who is this much uh, higher-ranking athlete in terms of the tier that uh, Barry was on. Like a, I think it was like a four- or five-star recruit. So now he's left with... <laughs> now he's left to just not playing, just stuck on the bench because Barry Bonds happened to be the one that was uh, taken by his school. So there goes that uh, dream, just completely uh, shattered in an instant as soon as Barry Bonds gets brought to the team. Yeah, I bet that kind of so, shit happens all the time in sports um, or, you know, because yeah. it is a form of entertainment. College sports. And, like, yeah, mm-hmm. funny thing, too, is, like, that's almost similar. Like, that kind of shit happens in the music industry. Like, there'll be a band that yeah. has, like, a development deal with a record label and they'll, like, you know sign a contract and they'll think like oh man yeah we finally made it and they'll like you know finish the record and all that and the record label will be will they can change their mind at the last minute and be like hey there's this new band the white stripes that we're more excited about so we're you know we're gonna shelf your album which basically just means that they just you know put it on a proverbial shelf it doesn't get released you're not allowed to release it yourself and you're basically in purgatory on the label. Oh. Yeah, so that kind bogus. of... Bogus. Yeah, that shit happens <laughs> in the, you know, and probably in the film industry, too, you know, like movies sit in, in production hell or whatever they call it, development hell. Yeah, development hell, yeah. Um. So he was stuck on the bench, and his dreams of making a lot of money as a baseball player just went up in smoke. So he decided... I still want to make a lot of money, so he decided to do it the easy way by robbing banks. Uh, No one knows exactly how many robberies Pritchard committed before his luck ran out in Vegas. After a bank teller identified him in a lineup, he was sentenced to five years in an Arizona penitentiary. But according to Special Agent Edward Hall, the Phoenix FBI, rather than learn from his mistakes pritchard spent his time behind bars correcting them which five years a is a long time to spend in prison and he met other people that had robbed banks and from past experience of cases i've worked they exchanged thoughts ideas and a way to perfect robbing a bank so prison doesn't really help rehabilitate yeah uh, I, 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 I the thought that was kind of a in that regard I thought that was kind of a funny, like, okay, so what are we supposed to take away from those comments? That prison doesn't work, therefore you shouldn't be sending people there? <laughs> like, uh, and, and, like, multiple people were, were saying that, you know, who worked in the police force were saying, like, yeah, he, yeah. Just, he just got better at robbing banks from being in jail. And it's like, uh, okay, shouldn't you be sa- saying something like stay in school or something like that? But you're saying... Yeah, if you go to prison, you'll actually become a better criminal. Uh, so maybe we should 
do something that's more <laughs> rehabilitative than uh, put someone in a box yeah. with a bunch of other bad people. Exactly. Like, um, there is, uh, there's like, uh, I think it's Sweden or something, Switzerland, like uh, over, I, I think in either one of those, uh, places, uh, there is a prison that is just like a country club or, or like a retirement home. Like it's a really nice place and there's a lot of classes that people take. It's almost like a community college. Got it. Figure I, as soon as you said Sweden or Switzerland or whatever, I, I knew it was going to be some kind of fruity, like like slap on the wrist, like luxury kind of treatment. Because that's just how they handle shit over there. But but it actually works pretty well, well. So I don't know. I think it works over there because like they there's a culture, uh, a cultural difference, and like the people in general have a different mindset than Americans do. And I think that's why it works over there specifically. Yeah. Like, I don't think that would work over here because we're just such I th- a I violent think it could, people. I think, I think it could work here in certain instances. So when it comes to uh, crimes that are more petty, I think that would work. But when it comes to crimes that are more violent, like murder and this other stuff, probably not. Yeah, I still think locking people up for drugs is fucking bogus. Oh, it's stupid. And thankfully, uh, here in I think Washington and Oregon, they've, they've, they've they're going to stop doing that. Uh, in Oregon, they legalized all drugs. Yeah, that's I mean they should. Like in in, in like what the Netherlands, if they see if uh, the police catch a junkie with a dirty needle, they just give him a clean needle and send him on his way. So he doesn't, you know, give himself gain green or anything. Yeah. So in New Mexico, shortly after his release, Craig met 24-year-old Nova Guthrie. According to Special Agent Jana Monroe of the Denver FBI, Pritchard provided the rebellion and excitement that Guthrie desired. Nova Guthrie comes from a very small town, and she was raised in a very strict, conservative, very spiritual family setting. And after meeting, they went on a bank robbery spree, and that included the states of Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, Washington, Oregon, across the South and Northwest. Pritchard would enter the bank wearing a disguise. He was always armed with an assault weapon. He had a police scanner so he could monitor any of the police in the area. So she uh, was excited. I mean, just completely enraptured by this idea of being bad the opposite of what she was uh raised that that happens a lot where you have people who are raised in this very strict conservative very uh religious setting who just rebel in the most extreme uh ways that's how it happened whenever they for get me. a chance i mean i grew up in a conservative christian home and my parents didn't drink or do anything crazy like that. Now look at me, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not saying, like, I'm some horrible person, yeah. but, like, I, you know... my. I mean, I didn't grow up in, like, a very spiritual setting or really conservative setting. Lucky. But there are certain things that my mom didn't want me doing or watching, and horror films were one of those big things. And as an adult, I have to admit, like... When I had the opportunity, when I was no longer uh, under my parents' thumbs, so to speak, I completely binged it 
you know, I went crazy on horror films. Yeah. <laughs> and I still do that. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's not a very proven or effective way to deter somebody from something, if you ask me. No, I mean, it's just a way to control them as as long as they're like, you know, you live under my house, you're going to obey my rules. Like, I understand that whole thing because they think in their mind, like, you're, you're yeah. you, like, it's like for the time. But can't you have like, can't you have like a, a, a middle ground? That that's. I mean, thing. ideally, ideally, but, you know, those kind of parents who are like that, I think, I think their whole thought process is, well, I did everything I could. It's not my fault if they turn out to be a complete fuck up. Like that's on them because I <laughs> raised them with like the right values and they they chose to do otherwise. So I think it's almost like a conscience thing for them. Like it's like, yeah. oh, well, that's that wasn't my fault cuz I, you know. It's like a get out of jail free card for parents. Right. So they'd be like Hey, you know, it's well, not my fault. I told them not to do that, and they, you know, made their own choice, so it's not on me. When in, when in all reality, if you were just a cooler parent and weren't a dick, then your kid would probably be a lot more receptive to, like, what you have to say, you know, when they get older. Yeah. And, you know, and coming from me, who has zero kids and very little experience, obviously <laughs> I'm the authority on... Uh, on these kind of things, so everyone should listen to what I have to say. Yeah, um, that's probably not how things work, but hey, you know, that's what happens on this podcast. We share our opinions. <laughs> we share our uninformed, uh, unresearched opinions. <laughs> so, uh, Nova always stayed outside the bank, alerting Craig to any dangers via radio. After each robbery, they drove to a predetermined location, abandoned their car, and fled in a second vehicle. According to Special Agent Monroe, the two led lavish lifestyles with the stolen money. That's another thing that probably uh, enticed her about this life of crime. I mean, the lavish lifestyle. Uh, they went to all these nice places, they went to ski resorts, ocean resorts, uh, they look like a very nice normal couple. Uh, there's nothing that's going to stand out that's going to make them different from others. But I find that kind of obvious. Like, what, what, what are you going to, what's going to happen, Special Agent Monroe? Are you going to have two bank robbers that are just going to flaunt everything and be uh, a complete uh, sore thumb? In terms of you know they're sticking out. Are they going to be wearing? Are they going to be wearing the classic like long sleeve striped? black and white striped shirts that the old bank like bandits used to wear with the uh, skull cap on and all that. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, what? are they all, are they going to be constantly bragging in public about all these places that they robbed? Probably not. They're going to look like a nice, normal couple on the outside. That's how you are inconspicuous. I just don't know how these people who do shit like this, like how do they like sleep comfortably? comfortably at night not not like on a moral level like oh how could you have stuck a gun in someone's face and not, and not like on that level because i understand that especially if you don't kill someone like i can understand how certain people can like you know reconcile justify that. that yeah justify yeah. that in their mind but it's for me it's like the the constant fear of being caught like you couldn't really enjoy your life because like at any fucking minute you know, you could get taken in. Maybe, for... maybe that's what also excites them. See, to me, that's the just, idea that's just... that they could get caught. 
I'm not a fly by the seat of my pants kind of guy, so I, that shit mm-hmm. wouldn't be for me at all. I would not be into there that. There are a lot of people who love that adrenaline rush that comes from being on the run. So two years into their crime spree, Craig and Nova risked capture by visiting Nova's family in Phoenix. At the time, however, Nova was unaware that only Craig was a wanted fugitive. The FBI had no evidence linking her to the robberies, but Nova's family knew the truth and resented Craig for enticing her into a life of crime. According to Special Agent Hall, Nova's brother confronted Craig, and this reenactment here is laughable. I mean, they cast this guy who looks like he would be right near the top of the list for uh, casting for a bully in a Disney movie. So you have this guy who looks completely unintimidating, and he's going up to uh, Craig, and he's like, you're leaving right now. I thought he You're going to get in your fancy little fancy car. Little car. <laughs> I, thought, I, felt, I felt like he had like a Tobey Maguire vibe to him. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that as well. Like a dopey... Like Spider-Man's... What, Peter what you Parker. Will you do Pete? <laughs> so anyway... So uh, dopey Peter Parker uh, confronts Craig... Uh, He didn't like what he had done and what he had gotten Nova involved with, and he didn't want him to be any part of Nova's life. And he didn't do shit, really. (laughs) Uh, Didn't make Craig change his mind, didn't do anything to really help, uh, tried to puff his chest out, and uh, didn't make a a single person back down. So without Craig, Nova was uncertain what to do next, confused and remorseful, she heeded her sister's advice to meet confidentiality with William, with police chaplain William Fay of the Colorado State Police. So this this part here is skipping something. I I guess Craig did not want to continue to be with Nova at that moment because of the confrontation. So then he just fled on his own. Uh, that led to uh, Nova going to this chaplain. And he's quoted here, I think deep in her heart she wanted to be forgiven, but didn't know how to go about it. At that point, I I took my Bible and I began to share scripture with her. And I said, what do you think it is now that God would have you do? And Nova said, turn myself in. And I said, let's go. Uh, The FBI hoped that with Nova's help, they could bring Craig to justice. But after her surprising choice to cooperate, she made an equally astonishing turnabout. Nova Guthrie disappeared and then returned to a life of crime with Craig Pritchard. It was, of course, it was, she got a taste of it, and it was just too delicious, and she couldn't get enough. As soon as she had an opportunity to get another taste of that excitement and that particular drug, that adrenaline rush, she uh, leapt at it. Um there's a guy, I think he's a police officer or, or a therapist or somebody, he's interviewed in this segment, and he made it a point to talk about, I think it was like a police officer, that they are not romantic. Remember that bit? He was, because they were talking about, like, oh, you know, they're the new Bonnie and Clyde, so on and so forth, and he really... Uh, took that to town, that idea well, that they are he, he, a romantic I think he had a, couple. He had a problem with it being this over-romanticized thing, and he's like, I don't, yeah. I don't think sticking a gun in someone's face and scaring them to death, uh, that there's yeah. anything like cool about that or whatever. And he's got a point. 
And then you, had, then you had the professor looking guy that they're interviewing who's like, oh, it was a rush. I bet as soon as they got done robbing banks, they they went home and hit the sack to keep that adrenaline going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just thought that was funny. It's like, wow, you're they my, definitely you're went gutter, home mister. and fucked. So they were actually captured. Uh, they were also featured on America's Most Wanted, as well as Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, much like Bonnie and Clyde, Pritchard and Guthrie were also taken down by the law, uh, but they weren't taken down in the same way. <laughs> they weren't uh, completely shredded by uh, a hail of gunfire. So in August of 2003, they were discovered living in Cape Town, South Africa, where Guthrie was working managing a nightclub. Uh, while Pritchard spent his time on the computer buying and selling stocks. They were living under the names Andy and Dane Brown. Oh, okay, I'm going to take... A South African tourist traveling in the United States noticed Guthrie's wanted poster and contacted authorities. The couple was extradited back to the United States. Both were convicted of armed robbery charges. Pritchard uh, was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison and Guthrie to 10 years in prison, plus paying $231,000 in restitution. Guthrie has served her time and since been released. Uh, Yeah, I just, you know, I know that there's a lot of times people, not a lot of times, but there's some times that people like just get away with shit and they're never caught, but more often than not, you're going to get busted. Like, I just don't, Yeah, I mean... I just don't. I, I, it's it's not worth it, you know. Like it's not worth the the trouble, the potential shit. Uh, also, nowadays it's a lot easier for you to get busted. Oh when yeah. it comes to like robbing banks. Like back in the day, like for example, the ATV uh, robbers. Oh yeah. You could get away with that stuff a, a lot easier when the technology wasn't quite there. Right, and nobody, uh, n- no bank ever ever assumes that anyone's going to tunnel underneath the fucking thing but they st- but even still yeah. they had you know all that reinforced concrete and steel even- that was a professional job and in, in a military i think oh, former yeah. military uh men or women were both uh working on that one yeah that one so yeah um, i didn't really have <laughs> I've been watch I've been watching um 2020 as I've been talking about here on Hulu and it's mm-hmm. it's been awesome. Um I've really enjoyed the uh, the series. I mean I I already knew I liked it, but yeah. just revisiting the shit now is like especially there cuz they're coming out with new episodes, so it's like finally kind of watching something that is happening recently and in yeah. a lot of these cases on 2020 you you actually see a lot of the new ways that they've come up with finding people and pinging uh, cell phone locations yeah. is a big one. Um, that's something you never heard about on Unsolved Mysteries. Um, they actually cleared a suspect off their suspect list because he his story uh, corroborate was corroborated by how his, the towers that his cell phone would ping off of. So like he was saying, yeah, when we left for the from the picnic, I went, she went east and I went west, and the self it, the mm-hmm. data showed that he he did actually do that. And then they have other things on on um, 
on the show that they never had on Unsolved Mysteries, like personal surveillance equipment, like on houses. Um, there, yeah, people with their door cams. Yeah, there's or or like or lately. like just a camera mounted to the side of the house. Like there's yeah footage of uh, there was one case I was watching where this couple. Um, most likely, even though the body's never been found, this couple murdered this 20-year-old because she was having an affair with the husband, and then uh, the wife found out, and apparently the wife was really controlling, and she was like, all right, we're going to kill this little bitch. And they um, were actually captured footage of their white uh, truck driving to the docks to dispose of the body or whatever and it was it, they found the footage or the footage was obtained from a just a private residence uh security uh-huh. system and it's just it's, yeah. it's shit like that that you know and then there's all the technology we don't know about in banks like you know who knows if the die packs have been replaced with something more elaborate. Who knows? Yeah, the- they've probably gotten better too in terms of the silent alarms yeah. and all of that sensors in the floor sensors Uh here sensors there sensors everywhere you know i'm sure there's uh more especially with the major banks find a way to put a sensor up the robber's ass yeah exactly (laughs) they just automatically analyze the robber's uh farts for uh what kind of you know diet they have and they're they're, they're able to pinpoint the exact burger king that they were at a few days earlier and you know no i'm just joking but um yeah, I mean, like, especially like. Wouldn't that be crazy though? Like, <laughs> yeah. we found him due to uh, flatulence analysis. <laughs> we were able to discover traces of uh, ground beef that are consistent with the kinds found in a Burger King, and so we looked at the footage from the one nearby, and there he is, standing in line, like having it his way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. I'd say if- so. I don't really have much else to say about uh, the uh, case of the robbers. Um, well, that's good because, like Muse said, our time is running out. Um, moving on to our next case of uh, Karen Pelletieri. Another one that uh, uh, Josh found by mining. Oh, I've been in the mines, folks. I've been in the in yeah. the Unsolved Mysteries uh, haunted mine shaft. Um, just been looking far and wide, you know, with my pickaxe, just picking away, you know, picking through the lost loves, picking through the fucking updates that are no longer relevant anymore, just picking through all that to hopefully find the diamond in the rough, you know. And, um, I got a few more, but we're gonna, I'm gonna have to start either rewatching these or something, because, uh, <laughs> once, once we blow through these, then I don't know what to do <laughs> yeah I, I i need i need to start rewatching them too yeah that would be nice i, I, if you I could. find some stuff that you know <laughs> yeah if you could pick up on on that that would be helpful yeah so um karen pelletary yeah that's how you say her name uh, in 1991, Daniel and Karen Pelletieri moved from Long Island, New York, to Boca Raton, Florida, with their young son William Pelletieri. Oh, great snowbirds! That's all we need is more. You fucking New Yorkers coming to my state, bringing your goddamn viruses. Sorry. Um, <laughs> co- uh, according all to- of a sudden, uh, Boomer Josh made an appearance. <laughs> yeah. 
according to Daniel, nine months later, uh, Karen began to change. She became forgetful and distracted. She often mumbled incoherently and sometimes neglected Billy, their son. At first, he just chalked it up to the fact that she was having problems adjusting to their new environment in Boca Raton. However, as time progressed, she became more and more erratic. In mid- yeah, I don't know why he would at first just assume that it's something to do with having problems adjusting to Boca Raton. I, I don't know about that. Especially the the mumbling, mumbling, <laughs> mumbling. What the heck is mumbling? Uh, mumbling oh, incoherently. <laughs> yeah, she was uh, mumbling incoherently. She was distracted. She was out of it. I I don't know how that really ties into adjusting to Boca Raton. He was probably just hoping that's what it was. Probably no- yeah. knowing that it. You know, was probably wishful yeah, thinking. Wishful thinking. So in mid August of 1992, Daniel claimed that Karen's behavior escalated into violence. Uh, she threw things around the kitchen and tried to attack him. Yeah. The what re- did you think of the reenactment? I thought if I had saw that as a kid, that would have freaked me out because she just like because he like walks into the kitchen and there's like a pot of boiling water and like all this steam is coming out. And I guess that's like the producers had to come up with a scenario where it's like, okay, we have to come up with something that's going to make her lose her shit in the kitchen. Let's just have this big ass pot of boiling water with a bunch of steam coming out of it. And he walks in and he's like, she reached her boiling point. (laughs) Yeah. And like Daniel walks into the kitchen and he's like, and it's just, yeah, it's a pot that's like boiling on the stove. And it's like the stove's Mm -hmm. like on an island in the middle of the kitchen. And he's like, Karen, you're going to burn the house down. And she's like, no! And she, like, like throws yeah. the refrigerator door open, and she, like, runs towards Daniel and, like, starts, like, grabbing at him and shit. And he's Didn't like... did she throw potato chips at him yeah, or something? Yeah, she threw potato <laughs> chips at him. <laughs> like, bam, that'll teach you. Hey, I'll tell you what, if one of these hits you in the eye and one of them little salt, little grains of salt get in your eye, that's going to sting, buddy. So that wasn't a completely... Uh, Poor defense, I guess. But uh, yeah, he's like, "You're scaring me. You're scaring." Dude, it's like, dude, that—that's the kind of shit as a kid that would have freaked me. Out. I mean, now I just thought like, "Oh, whatever," you know. But like, if I had seen that segment as a kid and seeing like an adult like lose their shit like that, yeah, you would think it would think it was just a uh, uh, possession or something. Yeah, and then you I would, th- would not. Th- and then I would think, well, what's what's stopping my mom from doing that? Now that I know that that's something that exists in this world, like, you know, because I. I was meant made to believe that this show was based on true things that happened. It wasn't like watching a movie. So it was like shit, yeah. people can really like snap like that for no reason. So yeah. Um so she was taken to the emergency room after that because uh yeah, that's pretty insane. It was obvious to the doctors that something was wrong. Initial tests could not determine what was happening. One test determined that she was suffering from a viral disease. However, doctors could not not identify the specific disease. Eventually, she was diagnosed with viral encephalitis, a brain infection that can induce delusions and violent behavior. The disease can be fatal. Even if the person survives, permanent brain damage is almost certain. And in this case, it definitely was. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you really felt for Karen. It was one of those things where... That is such a bad hand. Oh, yeah. That's a shitty card to be dealt in life. 
for sure. Because it's just a random thing, a viral infection, and it causes lasting damage to your brain. And it's it's rough for the whole family, too. I mean, you look... Know, it's, it's rough for, if, for Daniel, it's rough for the kid. If you're not from Florida, you may not understand that... Um, you don't swim in the random lakes and ditches here. This water is stagnating at 95, 96, 97, sometimes 100 degrees for very long periods of time. These are these are essentially big lakes of primordial ooze, and then these New Yorkers come on down from their cold weather. Oh, look at that, a lovely lake, Karen. Why don't you jump in? I'll videotape it on my camcorder. And, you know, then, then before you know it, she's got a, you know, a neural encephalitis or viral encephalitis Vir- yeah well i mean maybe we don't really know exactly how she got it um no, there are I'm other just, ways to get i'm just fucking around everyone like that. i know that that's but there not. you can get viral i think you can get like a, a fungus or, or or viral encephalitis in that fashion i think there's an instance of somebody at action park which was in new jersey where they got like a brain infection <laughs> or something action park <laughs> <laughs> just an insurance agent's worst nightmare yes how the fuck they ever got insurance for that place i will never know i think he fr- well, remember i think it's because he it was a favor or something either that the, or he made up his own insurance com- i don't yeah. know oh yeah like yeah that. yeah he made up a lot of stuff yeah yeah shit's hilarious highly recommend watching the movie about action park if you haven't seen it already so Karen was in the hospital for four months. During that time, her relatives visited from New York, and according to Daniel, they were a constant presence and often disagreed with him regarding her care. Despite the increasing tension, he tried to stay optimistic. Slowly and gradually, her physical health improved. However, her doctors felt that the outlook of her mental health was grim. Nevertheless, they finally released her from the hospital, hoping for the best. On the day Daniel brought Karen home, his parents were waiting with Billy. She was very happy to see her son again. At first, their life appeared to be returning to normal. However, Daniel soon noticed she began getting more and more disoriented again. She started calling her mother and sister constantly, even during the middle of the night. To Daniel, it appeared that she was acting like a child. The illness had apparently left her with virtually no short-term memory. He claims that uh, that she was unable to care for Billy, often forgetting to feed him. All she wanted to do was go home to her mother. And he talks about just how disturbing a lot of this was to him. And uh, it's understandable. Like, I really felt for Yeah, I mean, that's your wife, you know? I mean, that's someone that you fell in Mm -hmm. love with at one point whose personality completely fucking changes. It's like the person dies to you but isn't actually dead. In fact, they even look... Yeah, I'm really... Yeah, I'm really blessed that, uh, you know my my stepfather did recover because i i know firsthand what it's like to deal with that where you have somebody that you love and you've known for most of your life and this thing happens and they're completely different they're they're unrecognizable yeah and uh it it is like a death and I, I'm I'm really blessed and thankful that he made enough of a recovery that you know I still had my stepfather 
You know, I could, you know, it's not one of those things where the recovery was uh, not successful or it was halfway there and you just were living with a stranger. Yeah. yeah I mean, good for you. That's, that's brain damage is doesn't, uh... always, doesn't always happen. Doesn't always happen. There are a lot of instances uh, where people have a mental breakdown or they deal with, you know, encephalitis or schizophrenia or something and and they don't really come back so bro this bang energy drink tastes like fucking ass i don't know how people drink these shits i'm so pissed off right now <laughs> i should have gotten a monster i know a i wanted a fucking monster but i, I like the orange flavor and they didn't have that mm-hmm. so I, I was like oh well so speaking of orange flavor so your your coke has that been back? Your Coke Zero? No, they only have the regular. They orange ha- vanilla. They have regular orange I vanilla. I swear. Oh, it's just regular orange. Yeah, vanilla. regular. I they don't think? have Coke. They don't have the Zero version. I think I might have seen that locally. Here, you haven't. But I'm not 100 percent sure. You haven't. They've just they've discontinued it. Oh, they discontinued it. Oh, that sucks for you. Oh, they've brought back. Uh, che- did you get the news? Like, did they just say like, oh no, it's just gone? Because with Mellow Yellow, it's still around, but I can only get it in a fountain at a at a fast food restaurant right now. Yeah, they oh. um, they talked about how they were discontinuing. Okay, at first they there was this whole bullshit where they're talking about there's an aluminum can shortage. So because during last year, and that might have been true for yeah, a little that bit. Was, yeah, but obviously that's not true anymore because since then. Pepsi has brought, they've made like a million different flavors of Mountain Dew Zero. They brought Pepsi Blue back. <laughs> yeah, uh, Coke has come out with Cherry Vanilla Zero. Uh-huh. And they're making 12 packs of those, but not Orange Vanilla Zero. And I'm just pissed at this point. <laughs> and then if they do bring it back, watch them fuck with it somehow to where it doesn't taste like it did before, I guarantee It'll you. It'll be new, new, uh orange vanilla cherry coke dude i had new coke when i went to the coke museum i had new coke and um it it was fucking awful i was like i was like why did they ever think that this this was like whoever convinced the coca-cola company to not only agree with that idea but to roll it out and replace it with the classic they should have been fucking fired so that was in atlanta right yeah so, it, it, did you try like all these like flavors that were no longer around? No, uh, oh, that's cool. No, I tr- it was flavors from around the world. So they had North America, no. they had Europe, Asia, Africa, South America. Um, I would say that South America had the best uh, Coke varieties mm-hmm. um, because. My understanding of it beforehand was like you just get to taste like the Egyptian version of Coca-Cola and the German version. Now, what it is is in the United States, for instance, we have Coke, Sprite, um, you know, what were the other the like Powerade, um, you know, those kind of like Coke products, whatever else falls on see like Sierra Mist, I think, might be Coke. But in all yellow. Mellow Yellow. And in the other countries, they have their version of Coke, but then they also have their versions of, you know, other Coke products. Like, they have, uh, oh, God, one that sticks with me forever will be the Italian uh, soda uh, Coke product. It was called Beverly. <laughs> Beverly. That was the name of the, that was the, the, name of the soda. 
bro. It tasted Can like. Imagine what? What are you drinking, Beverly? <laughs> Dude, this shit tasted like Ipecac. It tasted like. Oh God! It it, it was bitter, like vomit-inducing carbonated shit, and like. When when I was filling it up my little te- like test cup to taste it, I noticed like people kind of backed up and were like staring at me, and I'm I'm like whoa like what's going on, and they all knew <laughs> they all somehow they knew. knew that that yeah, flavor was was notoriously awful, and I yeah. didn't know and I was like do 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 oh let's try it Italian the Italian uh, flavor and I'm like oh my god who the fuck would drink this. <laughs> Sick fucks, but no, South America. People who want to have a, a bitter beer taste with their Coke. With no alcohol in it, yeah. Yeah. Do you want all the worst parts of beer and not even getting drunk after? Well, Beverly's for you. You know, I would expect something like that for, like, Germany or something. Like, oh, I'm German, I like the pain and the suffering. Um, but Italy... Or Russia. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Russia, like... Uh, Ethiopia, like I could have see, like see their oh my god, see their soda tasting like that. But like fucking Italy, like I'm surprised they didn't have some kind of carbonated espresso or something. You know, like I was very sure. Sh- anyway, God, talk about a rabbit trail. <laughs> that one's that that's one for the books right there. Holy shit, that fellas. one might be it, its own thing at the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I might have to stitch that that together. That was that was quite a fucking off the beaten path. Um. So, all right, let me see here. I got to figure out where we were. So, Daniel knew this was not normal, as Karen previously was very independent and did not like being around her family members unless she had to. Uh, despite his concerns, Daniel gave in to Karen's wishes and sent her ass back to Long Island. He feared that once she was with her family, she, uh, she would never return to Florida. Under the circumstances, he felt that he had no choice but to file for divorce. On March 19, 1993, a court in Palm Beach County determined that Karen's physical and mental health meant that joint custody, custody might be detrimental to Billy, and Daniel was awarded temporary sole custody. Yeah, because like before, Karen was someone who's like, I don't fucking like my mom and sister all that much. Uh, I, I, you know, at family gatherings, yeah. I'm kind of there, I make an appearance, and I dip out, and now all of a sudden she's like, like clinging to these people like they're her best friends. She's like, mommy. Yeah. Mommy. I've got to go see mommy. I got to go see my mom. Yeah. Which, you know, it could, it could have, um, that brain damage could have made her devolve into like more of this childlike mindset where Mm -hmm. that's like your first like forge of protection in life is your mother usually. So unbeknownst to Daniel, Karen returned to Florida eight days later, accompanied by family members. She went straight to the Boca Raton police and asked for help in getting custody of Billy. Because of Daniel's court order, she was refused. Two days later, she turned up at the courthouse in neighboring Broward County. Again, she tried to get a a custody order. And she was making these accusations, right, of abuse? Yeah, she's like, like, my husband's been beating me and I'm I'm I'm, I'm fearing for my baby. And there, and the judge is just like, "All right, she's telling the truth." And so the- that's the danger, folks, of just believing all accusations yep. blindly, without any context or without 
all the facts. Yep. So later that day, a judge, unaware that another court order was already in effect, granting the husband custody, uh, he went ahead and did another court order. That and the cops did. And again, this this is, might have been a time and place thing because now you'd figure the databases are a lot more sophisticated. And they would have caught something like this. Oh yeah, that probably wouldn't happen nowadays because it's probably all computerized. Yeah, so back as then they're they like, try to be, they'd yeah, be like, back then they're like, here, let me let me fill up our fifty six k modem with some gasoline and try to crank it up to get it started to uh, so we can wait the. It was hour. probably uh, papers, like paper uh, copies that are in like this long hallway with all these shelves and shit. Yeah, it's like let's secure probably the. 30 foot ladder so we can go up to the top of the shelf and find your last name like in fucking last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, <laughs> you know like go to the big the huge warehouse and find your files and then by the time that happens <laughs> God that's when I gotta rewatch I loved that movie growing up um, oh, it still holds up great. I'm I'm really looking forward to watching that in 4K. It was a blast to see that in 35 millimeter and uh, Temple and Last Crusade in the movie theater. Oh yeah, a I, years I ago. bet. So um, that night, Daniel was at work, and his parents, Dorothy and Richard, were watching Billy. And police arrived with Karen's court order, claiming that they had to pick up Billy. Richard called Daniel's lawyer, and he's like, "Here, speak to my lawyer." And uh, the officers were like, I understand that, sir. I understand that. But we have a court order. Basically, the court order by a judge is the end all be all. There's nothing you can say. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. The ex- the police are going to execute that order come hell, yeah. or, hell or high water. It, it, it's like what happened in, in Ghostbusters, you know, at the end where it, when uh, Walter Peck did get the court order because of uh, his assumptions that they were using uh, illegal or noxious chemicals that could affect the environment. And so, because it's like that whole thing where you had, you had uh, Vank Vanity was all like, you go get a court order, and I'll sue your ass for wrongful prosecution. <laughs> you can have it your way, Mr. Vankman. And then he comes back with a court order and then shuts the protection grid off and fucks everybody. So, yeah. Uh, so, it's yeah, similar just like in that. that regard. Just like that. <laughs> so, um... You've seen... You've seen Ghostbusters, uh, right? It's been so fucking long. That's one of those ones I haven't seen since I was a kid. That's one that you've at least seen once, though. My bro- at some point, I feel like life. my brother had it on all the time growing up, and I, I think <laughs> the only thing I really remember is the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man and thinking, this is stupid. This looks dumb. <laughs> I, I think you would appreciate it a lot more now well, yeah. as an adult. I mean, yeah, I mean, like... That wasn't really... Although as a kid, I loved it. I loved it as a kid. My brother did, too. My brother liked all those, like, classic 80s, you know, movies. He, I think his favorite movie growing up they watched all the fucking time was The Rocketeer. Oh, that's cool. I, I used to watch The Rocketeer all the time, too. I couldn't even tell you one thing about that movie except the guy's wearing, like, this steampunk-looking mask. And he flies. And he has a jetpack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, the cops end up taking little Billy away. Approximately two hours later, the Pelletiers were contacted by the police who admitted their mistake. Oh, sorry, we fucked up. Man, you ought to be able to slap the taste out of their mouth for doing that shit. (laughs) 
at least like bring like a white glove up there and slap the shit out of him with the glove. Like I challenge you to a dual style slap. They told the Pelletiers that they had to get their lawyers to prevent Karen from leaving the state immediately. But of course, it was too late. The next morning, they were informed that Karen was in New York City. By the time Daniel was able to get to uh, the New York authorities, uh, get them involved, Karen and Billy had disappeared. And the result of this case is, um, you know, she was captured. After uh, the story aired, Karen contacted Daniel through her attorney and offered to return Billy. So I guess she wasn't captured. I mean, I guess Billy was captured, if you if you want to put it that way, although it kind of makes it sound like... He was saved. Yeah, he was saved. He was rescued. The surrender was orchestrated by attorneys for both parents. The two had been living in Canada prior to the surrender. At the time, Karen was not arrested, nor was she charged with any crime. Ugh, women get off so easy in this in these uh, child uh, court things, like... If that situation had been reversed, man, that guy would have, his ass would have been in jail. In July of... Well, 90- I don't know. I mean, if he had viral encephalitis, they might have uh, made an exception. Well, that's true. Maybe she was able to, like, plead, like, plead not insanity, but, like, mental uh, deficiency. Yeah, that's what the judge did. The judge believed that due to her mental problems, uh, she may not have been aware of Daniel's court order when she left the state. Yeah, that was but probably her, parent, buy- her family that orchestrated that. Yeah. I don't buy that entirely because of the fact that she was still cognizant enough to make these accusations. Right. Well, again, maybe so, her parents like like uh, coached her to say that. I don't know. Oh, did but, her parents try to pull a you know uh, one of those uh, instances that we've seen in other uh, segments that we've covered on the podcast about oh so and so is abusing they, uh, the kids. they made karen watch satanic videotapes um and <laughs> and 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 did like a a uh tape a taped interview with her and then took the tape and edited it to make it sound like you know that one grandma on that one episode literally did that she like edited the yeah. like, like old school like yeah. pro tools uh you know but without pro tools with the just, audio just, i think it was the audio yeah just you yeah. i think she like spliced it together like that like you had to do back in the day back when bands would record on uh tape like they have like a reel to reel and you'd have to literally take a razor blade and cut the tape and then splice it to another uh-huh. piece of tape if you want to make an edit like i, I think she like yeah. did that similar thing which I gotta admit is so, quite resourceful on that old lady's yeah. part, who you guys. So don't Karen know who uh, was uh, given unsupervised visitation rights, while Daniel was given primary custody in 1998. Uh, I don't understand why she got unsupervised visitation rights, considering the circumstances. Yeah, I know that seems maybe she like proved a her tra- like a track record of stability. But then, if that's the case, then like she should have been arrested for taking the kid, if she was that stable. Yeah. If she's stable enough to have mm-hmm. unsupervised vi- visitation rights, then why didn't they charge her with anything? You know, if yep. if they thought that she was truly that mentally impaired because of her, you know, infection or whatever, then she should definitely be supervised. But I whatever. And probably the saddest part of all of it is like Billy was really close to Daniel, the dad, and he, yeah. he was saying as much in the in the segment. You know, like Billy would always his first words were "Daddy." Whenever he was in trouble, he'd always call for his dad, and they were mm. separated for three fucking years. 
Now, granted, I'm sure they like made up for lost time and all, and he was still fairly young. When- and it did, yeah, it helps that he was fairly young. That helps a lot because I don't remember jack shit really. No, from I mean, no, when I was like no. five or below, or you know, even like six or seven. Like, I don't remember much at all. Yeah, you only you only get childhood. like 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 when you're young, you don't have a concept of. I am doing this activity and I am also four years old. You just remember the activity. You don't you don't start like attaching age to events until you get older. Like, oh, I yeah. know for a fact I was nine years old the first time I went to Disney, or I know for a fact I was fifteen when I saw, you know, whatever band. Yeah. That's some shit that you start doing when you're older for whatever reason. But when you're young, you don't things happen to you, but you don't know how old you were. So it's kinda hard to pinpoint your first real but even memory. yeah but even those things you don't always necessarily remember because you know everyone's different in terms of their capacity to remember their past yeah that's true all right let's fly through a perks of being a josh flower and wrap it up because <laughs> i gotta go to my gig um this one's from uh, so by, by the way the josh flower diaries are um me reading through a diary that uh, Zanga.com they used to write in about 17 years ago. And I would write about all my teenage angst and my lack of pussy getting and how I don't like my body and how I want to be in a band. That pretty much sums up every entry. So anyway, this one's from Tuesday, October 2nd, 2007. So my band Centenic opened for fucking Candlebox Tuesday. And they liked us so much that lead singer Kevin actually looked for us and talked to us for about 30 minutes afterward. He was so cool, too. He virtually begged us to play more shows with them. But alas, like all good things in my life, Centenic is coming to an end. Corey, the lead singer, is is leaving because he has a damn family and he has a chance to advance in his job, but only if he goes back to college to learn more about his job or something like that. So he won't have time for a band anymore. But I mean, this is seriously the opportunity we have been waiting for. I guess it's just really shitty timing, though. But whatever, man, God must have a reason for this happening like it is. Man, why didn't I ask for Kevin's autograph or at least get a picture with him? What an idiot. Whatever. He said he could tell I played like Getty Lee from Rush because of my fingering style. That was awesome. But anyway, I'm going to Caroline's house today to get shit housed. LOL. That's the word Corey uh, uses for getting wasted. And I think it's funny. Shit housed. It's like two words or one. I don't know. All right. Well, I'm out. Oh, here's a juicy one. Friday, August 24th, 2007. Like I said, these kind of jump around now on the dates. I don't know why. Haven't updated in a while. Last Tuesday, I fucked up and had sex with Nikki. Feel bad about that, but what can you do? It won't happen again, I can tell you that much. Alcohol isn't good for me when I'm horny. Anyway, start college soon. (laughs) Trying to start a band. Bye. That's honestly great advice. It's true, right? Alcohol's not good for you when you're horny. It's very true. All right, the last one, that will be done. Oh, shit, this one's really long. This is from Wednesday, September 19th, 2007. Okay, so I haven't updated in a long, 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 long time, so I guess I will now. This is going to be a Dugan. That was a word I used to use back in the day, meaning something big. Okay, so hmm, where to begin? The title of this entry is I'm Alive. Let me elaborate on that. September 2nd, 2007, 5 p.m. at Cross Creek on Lane Avenue, my birthday. The whole family meets up at Cross Creek to eat. My cousin Stephen, his girlfriend Jackie, Rebecca, Leslie, my uncle Steve, Aunt Debbie, Aunt Donna, Granny, Papa, Mom, Dad, pretty much everyone was there. 
So we're eating and carrying on and everything is going on fine. And then after the dinner, Steven and his girlfriend still want to hang out with me. So we decide to go see a movie. We went to Orange Park and the line for the movies was the most crowded I've ever seen it ever. So we were like, fuck this. Let's go to the movie theater in the new Duval Station strip mall by the airport. It's a lot nicer and there aren't hardly any people. So we go there and buy our tickets to Balls of Fury for 9 p.m. At that moment, it was 8.13, so so we decided... I know, what a shitty movie. So we decided to go to Walmart uh, near the movies and fuck around there until 9. So we go there, and I buy Seinfeld Season 6 Unbox Set, and we can see a can of air duster there, the shit you use to blow dust off shit. Well, Steven liked to inhale the shit to get a cheap high, and he had done it before. Uh, he liked the stuff very much. We used to have a whole shit ton of it at my house, and he ended up doing most of it by himself. I had never done the shit. It's stupid. Spraying a chemical straight into your lungs, that's retarded. Well, I remember he called me one time when I was at Murray Hill and told me, dude, I just hit the duster so hard I passed out for a few seconds. And I was like, okay, whatever. So back to that night. I paid for the air duster for which they carted me because you have to be 18 to buy the shit, which now I can totally understand why that is. So we went to Steven's truck and he took one hit and got his high or whatever and nothing happened. So we started the truck up and he started driving down the parking lot of Walmart. Well, while we were driving down the uh, parking lot, he took another hit of it. And before he did it, because Air Duster makes your vocal cords relax, thus making your voice deeper and sound funny, he asked, what should I say? And I said, say Namby Pamby Girly Man. And so he took a big-ass hit of it, and he goes, You namby-pamby girly man. And he just started laughing like he was high. And then the scary part, the truck started speeding up, except for he wasn't paying attention to the road. In fact, he had passed out onto the steering wheel, and straight ahead of us was a retention pond. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, we were definitely hitting that thing. So he must have been going at least 45 to 50 miles an hour by the time he hit the curb. So we hit the curb, and the truck flew into the air and and landed in the middle of the retention pond, and we started sinking immediately. Well, me, being the quick thinker I am, fucking took my seatbelt off, rolled the window down, and I jumped out of that bitch like it was on fire. Meanwhile, Jackie stayed in the truck trying to wake Steven up. I knew we didn't have much time, so in the nick of time, Steven woke up, and they both jumped out to safety. Well, not really. You see, Steven had hurt his legs in football practice, so he couldn't fucking swim. So we almost drowned trying to get him to the shore. I had to kick off my shoes to help myself stay afloat. I was wearing my Rush Snakes and Arrows tour shirt and white undershirt and fucking jeans. Yeah, swimming was not happening very easily for me. But when we got to the shore, finally, it was the circus I knew it would be. Ambulances swarming and people looking on. In fact, we were screaming, I'm fucking drowning. And the people just stood there and stared and didn't even lend a hand. It was like that Phil Collins song in the air tonight. But anyways, they asked us a bunch of questions and I just didn't say anything because I didn't want to incriminate myself or my cousin. I didn't give two shits about what happened to Jackie, to be honest, because uh, she was wanting to lie to everyone to cover his ass, which we did. So I had to wait for seriously about six hours in the emergency room. It was miserable and retarded because I was totally fine. There was nothing wrong with me. So then we get home and all the lies start happening. Of course, I told my parents the truth, but Aunt Debbie and Uncle Steve had to know they were planning a lawsuit against Walmart for not having a fence there and everything. But I lost a lot of stuff like my nice phone 
and my shoes and a day at work the next day and my Seinfeld box set. I'm supposed to get a check, though. This whole experience has really changed my mindset more than I may even know. After the incident, I kept thinking about death, and I had this weird sense that all I am is just flesh and bone, and all my emotions and thoughts are just chemical reactions, and that I just am. Uh, and this feeling of me being bigger than this body uh, is just been a weird and trying time for me, but I'm getting better. I think I've gotten some sort of fringe anxiety from this whole experience, though. Sometimes I have trouble sleeping at night, and last night at Caroline's house, I started getting these fucked up thoughts because I started reminiscing about my childhood and all the disturbing things I had seen on TV, like the wall. Me and Caroline, she is my girlfriend now. It feels very natural, but I really do feel like all we do is make out, and she's so fucking sensitive about everything. I got to walk around eggshells with her about my true feelings because one one wrong comment could mean she never talks to me or never sees me in the same way again, and that is a real pain in the ass that she's not very laid back. Like, for instance, we had gotten into an argument yesterday because she asked me, are you at your full potential of happiness sexually with me? And I said no, because I was being honest. And my thoughts of all my other girlfriends slash fuck buddies ran through my mind and the stuff I did with them. For gosh sakes, I've had sex before. I mean... I'm not going to be satisfied with just making out. I'm sorry. And she's so opposed to me doing, uh, and she's so opposed to doing anything else for right now, at least. If she ever sees this, then the answer will be never. But besides that, she's just a great girl. I like her a lot, and I think we will last a while if we can get over this stupid shit. But yeah, on another note, college sucks. Life is scary now. It's like as soon as I get got out of high school, it's like, know what you have to do now, now, now. Whatever, my mom is reading over my shoulder. I'm gonna go buy Zanga. The near bitches. drowning wasn't wasn't scarier <laughs> than you know now now. Well, you know that was I like that was like one of those uh, like uh, acute um, you know dangers that in the moment was like terrifying, but then once it was over, it was kind of like all right, well that you know disaster has been averted. But the college thing was like this ever present looming uh, albatross around my neck that I, I was constantly having to worry about. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I've told that story about me almost uh, di- dying on the podcast yeah. before, but that's that was kind of a more in-depth um, account. Yeah. I, I wanted to, um, at the time, I definitely wanted to make sure I documented it somewhere just in case I forgot any of the details when I got older. So um, yeah, that uh, that was definitely... Don't do whippets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, back, back in the day, like... That was before they put the chemicals in the air dusters to make them taste just absolutely abhorrent. Like if you try, yeah, to, like the the film uh, Kids had a had a whippet scene. Yeah, if you try to inhale the computer duster that they sell at the stores now, they put chemicals in there that make them taste really, really bad. But back in the day, they didn't have those. So all my, I would think some people who really are into getting high. Uh, they they'll still do it, even though it tastes yeah. Because really I mean, they sell like, legal, legal ones, but they're a lot smaller. They're not like these huge canisters. So, um, and they're probably not like the lethal grade that the air dusters were, as far as like the high that you could get. Because, dude, you would seriously pass out on the shit. I mean, it would only be yeah. It only be for like five or ten seconds, but still, I mean, if you're behind the fucking wheel. And that may sound like a made-up story, like how I how dramatic it was, but I I swear to God that was that's exactly what happened that night. That was one of the most dramatic 
uh-huh. things that's ever happened to me, quite frankly. It's um, like uh, when I got hit by a car, but that's really my fault. I, you know, This was my fault, but too. Again, I bought my cousin yeah. that shit. I could have just said, no, I'm not doing that, but I wanted to be the cool older cousin and buy him what he wanted. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's the blame. Kind did of, you ever see, did you actually see balls of fury that night? <laughs> uh, uh, no, Mike, we didn't. We spent the night in the uh, fucking yeah. hospital, but we, later <laughs> on, course. later on uh, me and Caroline, my first ever real girlfriend, we went to uh, another movie theater and saw it and it was, it was fucking awful. I remember seeing that film like years ago and on, and I was like, <clears throat> What the fuck is this? I mean, the fact that but like I, I remember, I remember getting some enjoyment out of it. I guess it's because I saw it on TV and I didn't pay money to see it. So I, I, I think I've seen worse, but I, I've definitely seen a lot better. Just kind of shows you like what, what, like my level of movie sophistication at the time. That out of any movie that I could have seen in the theaters, I chose Balls of Fury. Uh, a Ben Still, I think it was a Ben Stiller movie, wasn't it? No. No, the, that, the Balls of Fury. No, it was uh, Christopher Walken was in it. You had a was it Dan Fogelberg? Is that who the actor is? It was the guy who was in Fanboys, and there was a certain amount of time uh, back in that uh, time period where they were trying to make this guy a star, and uh, it, it never really happened. He had a starring role. Dan Fogler. That's who it was. Dan Fogelberg is a singer. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, Dan Fogler, he was the lead. It was like some parody of sports movies, you know, with the montages, and it was about ping pong. Yeah, you had Christopher Walken, George Lopez, uh, James Hong, Robert Patrick was in it, Thomas Lennon, Terry Crews, Patton Oswalt. Yeah, anyway, it was a junk movie, but um, we got to we gotta wrap this shit up. Um, we are on... Uh, Patreon, you can go to um, patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Uh, I plan on uh, putting uh, some special content on there just for the Patreons in the next day or two. Um, that's extra so outside of the, just the podcast, so uh, be looking out for that. Um, it, uh, if you want to join our Facebook group on Facebook, just go to Facebook and type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries and navigate your way to the group section and you should see our fucking page. And if you want more of me and Mike, you can go, you can find Mike's channel at youtube.com slash OCP Communications. That's OCP Communications. He's a movie guy. He does movies. Briefly, Mike, what was your last video? Last video was the, uh, was a review of the film Possessor, which is really trippy uh, crazy, strange, fucked up movie directed by uh, the son of David Cronenberg, Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, I would definitely recommend it if you're into trippy sci-fi horror. Nice. So yeah, go over to Mike's channel and check out his movie reviews. I have a YouTube channel and it is more music based and it is called Dancing with Ghosts. So that's youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Nickelback is the worst. They're uh, the worst band ever. You always spoil my goddamn video. <laughs> <laughs> before I'm able to say what my last video was. So yeah, the last video I did was, um, the title of the video is, uh, Is Nickelback Still the Hippest Band to Hate? And I just kind of go over the whole, you know, Nickelback sucks, they're the worst band ever. And I just kind of talk about how in 2021, it's like a dead meme now, like let it go. 
Like, it's corny. Like, yes, we've all universally accepted that Nickelback is not good and, you know, their music's very formulaic, but to just sit there and constantly throw out that old platitude that Nickelback, oh man, at least this this band isn't as bad as Nickel. It's just so corny now, and it's just like, let it go. Just let it go. And there's so many other bands that suck just as bad, like Stained and Creed, and um, although Creed's first album was pretty good. I honestly would take Nickelback over Creed, because I just can't stand uh, uh, Scott scott's voice yeah but i mean i don't like i don't really care for either of their voices because they both have that kind of contrived yeah i mean sound if i had to choose between the two but also creed has this kind of sanctimonious vibe to it also especially on their wrong way especially as their albums got you know further along i'd say their first album was more arms wide open i i just that song that's god yeah that song's made fun (laughs) to say but anyway that's all tom we got i gotta run over to my fucking karaoke gig bye guys see ya